everybody. This is Brian Scott, host of the Injured List podcast. Thanks for listening. Now, don't forget, we became a brand ambassador for SeatGeek. So shout out to them for sponsoring the podcast. What is SeatGeek, you ask? Well, they're a ticket app that takes confusion out of buying tickets. They put a 0 to 10 score on each ticket. So you know if you're getting a good or bad deal. Green good, red bad. My viewers get $20 off their first ticket purchase with my code InjuredListPod. So download the app. You can find it in the link in my description. And remember my code InjuredListPod to get $20 off your first SeatGeek order. And that can be to the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, Coca-Cola 600, Major League Baseball, or an upcoming NFL football game. It's right around the corner, you know. Great time of year to go ahead and get the tickets to that event you've been dying to go to. Use my code InjuredListPod using the SeatGeek app. Your source for all sports injury topics. For the weekend warrior to the sports fantasy guru, we keep you in the action and out of the injured list. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the host of the Injured List podcast, Brian Scott. Hello, everybody, and I hope you enjoyed your 4th of July weekend, and welcome to the Injured List podcast. We've got a very special episode with a very special guest. As we celebrated our Independence Day recently, there's nothing more Americana than a good old-fashioned game of baseball. And who isn't a fan in the summertime when that's the only sport that's really going on the professional level at this time, with an occasional splatter of some soccer games here and there? Baseball's in full swing, no pun intended, and it really draws a lot of attention during the 4th of July weekend. About three, two, three years ago, I had a special guest on the podcast by the name of Jordan Scott. Jordan was the founder of Foul Ball Safety Now, which was a campaign that he started to educate and help promote fan safety at major and minor league baseball games through the use of safety netting around the ballpark. He described some stories of some injuries, and fatalities that have occurred throughout the game over the years. One such story he shared was that of Linda Goldblum, who was tragically injured at a Dodger game on August 25th, 2018, which was exactly three years earlier to the date that I interviewed Jordan. I recently had the opportunity to interview Linda's daughter, Jana Brody, who published a book titled Sit Behind the Nets, which is a memoir about her mother and is basically uh, about her life and her extraordinary ending after being struck in the head by a foul ball. And Jana is on a quest similar to Jordan, where she's trying to make a change throughout major and minor league baseball as she advocates for fan safety throughout the game. So we had the pleasure of having her on the podcast. So we're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, Jana Brody will be joining us. This- 
This is the Injured List Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Are you interested in being a guest on the show? Or do you know someone who would make a good guest? Want Brian Scott to be on your show? If so, share the podcast with your friends. Or drop us a line and we will get back to you right away. Email us at theinjuredlist411 at gmail.com or visit our website at www.theinjuredlist.com. Fantasy Sports Corp and Underdog Fantasy have teamed up to start your fantasy season off in the win column with Best Ball. What is Best Ball? It's quite simply the easiest way to win. No team management, no trades, no waivers. It's their biggest contest ever and it has only gotten bigger. You simply have to sit and win. You don't even have to set your lineup. Always get your best score every week. Just enter a contest, draft your team, and Underdog will do the rest. What could make this even better? How about free money? Up to $100 using our exclusive promo code. Go online now and use the promo code InjuredList to double your deposit up to $100. You tell them Gingerbread sent Good girl. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the Injured List podcast, our special guest today, Mrs. Jana Goldblum Brody. Jana, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Hi, Brian. Thanks for inviting me. It's my pleasure. So this is not one of the typical stories that I tell usually on my podcast. Usually we talk about injured athletes or two former athletes, current athletes, sometimes people in the medical professional. Unfortunately, we have the honor of having you on because your mother was um, injured fatally, unfortunately, in a Dodger baseball game back in 2018. And it's a, it's a tough story to tell, but you've told it well in your new book, which I have up here posted, Sit Behind the Nets. Um, and I think a lot of times what gets lost in the world of sports is that sometimes fans are at risk as well. And I told everybody how in a couple of years ago I had Jordan Scott on from foul ball safety now. And he had spoken to me about your mother's passing as one of the examples that he had given. And so now we're honored to have you on to share the story of your mom from your own words, um, which you beautifully had written down in your book, which is basically a memoir and uh, a life story of your mother that touches on the, the whole safety issue with major league baseball and netting. Can you take us back to that, that, 
day, that game when you first found out and the thoughts that were going through your head when you heard that your mother had been injured? Yeah, thank you, Brian. Uh, as you said, it's an issue that is not talked about enough. And so that's why um, the title of my book says it all. So, um, yeah, I, I actually had gone out. I remember it clear as a bell. It was my uh, wedding anniversary. It was August 25th. And I went to a party, came home late, still kind of unwinding. And I got a phone call from my sister around midnight. And I thought, this is strange. So she, she's told me, yeah, mom got hit by a foul ball at the Dodger game and is now in ICU at the um, USC hospital nearby. So nearby to Dodger Stadium. I was two hours away in Santa Barbara, California. So I was like in complete shock. I'm like, it's like trying to register late at night and a foul ball and it was just very mysterious so she said don't rush down in the middle of the night there's nothing we can do she's stable she's just got out of having brain surgery and there's you know just we'll talk in the morning kind of thing so I was very befuddled and again in shock I didn't have very much information I knew they went to a night game it was Padres versus Dodgers and it must have been late in the game. It turns out it was. It was the ninth inning. A Padre had hit a, a, a pop fly right behind the net, behind home plate, up in the load section where my parents were sitting. And um, out of 40,000 people, that ball found my mom. So it was kind of a miraculous night, a miraculous, and a lot of details in my book I talk about kind of I don't know if it was meant to be or divinely led things, but it was strange. Um, those tickets that they sit in, they they have a block set. So they've been going for years and years and um, sitting, you know, every 10th game, they, they go with their best friends. My dad's cronies from UCLA. And um, that particular night, his wife wasn't feeling good and gave my dad the extra tickets. And he invited my uncle Mike and my aunt Eve. So that was very bizarre situation as well. So I'm sure his best friends would have been there for him and driven his car to the hospital, but to have his best friend by his side while his wife was having brain surgery, again, was one of those very, you know, strange circumstances that just added to the mystery of it all. But um, yeah. Yeah, looking back there in your book, reading through it, there, there was a lot of things that kind of later on you're kind of like, I wonder why that happened the way it did and how things kind of worked out. Like you said, both family members were there with them instead of it being a friend. Um, and then, I mean, this is not like your your parents had been to many, many games spanning years, like even back to when they were dating. So this isn't oh, like gosh, a one-off thing. This was like, they'd been to many, many games. They were regular, they were regular many, fans. Many. Oh, huge fans, huge yeah. fans. And um, again, they all were wearing their Dodger blue. And you can see that on the back of my the book. My my dad had presence of mind. He actually took a photo that night. You know, they were celebrating their wedding anniversary. That was her birthday month. It was just a celebratory mood that, that, that did not end well. Yeah. <laughs> and so the cause of death was blunt force trauma was caused acute intracranial hemorrhaging. Your mom ended up having to have a 
a second procedure, I think, or if I'm not mistaken, or was that when you guys decided not to go through with the second procedure because your condition had deteriorated quite a bit over the course of a few days? Yeah, that's correct. It, it was it was brain bleeding, and there was nowhere for the blood to go. It was just you know extensive, and there were the only procedure that they could offer was like you said to open the skull, and that's it. I'm like, well, to let the blood go somewhere, but it didn't help her situation. It wouldn't help her recover right. or have a better life. So that was just something that they could do. Yeah, and I know, you know, I know your like, dad struggled with that decision. I know you guys as a family did as well. Luckily, I think this is something that's very important that comes out of the book is your mom had a DNR, which uh, um, working in the medical profession is is extremely important. It really does help family and loved ones manage a, a really terrible situation. Um, so I'm glad that your mother had the foresight to take care of that um, when the time was when it, when it was needed. Um and so I'm sure that helped guide you quite a bit in your decision. And oh gosh, it was very, very helpful. And like you said, it's like a another important message to get that out there because you do never know. But it was, you know, when they came with this very bizarre scenario, it it you know clearly states in a DR a DNR, as you mentioned, that you know if it doesn't help your quality of life, no, thank you. And that's it. He was able to show he had, in fact, after the doctor recommended that he made me drive him down there once again at like 11 o'clock at night to the hospital and show him. He physically showed her the paper and she was a woman doctor and she had said, um, this is great. Let's honor her wishes. And, you know, there was so DNR, it was very helpful. It wasn't our decision. It was hers. Very important uh, thing to take out of the book there. And now that what I didn't understand and what I was unaware of until I read the book was that because of the nature of her injury and the outcome, that she was not allowed to be buried right away, which in Jewish culture, as I know, I grew up in New York. I know a lot of Jewish uh, families and friends. Um, usually the burial is very quick. They, they like to do the ceremonies within the first couple of days. But because of your mom's injury, she was not allowed to be taken from the hospital and with the proper burial right away. And I can only imagine what kind of, you know, now to throw this on top of it, because you guys had to wait for her to go to the, get a coroner's report and all this stuff. I had no idea they would even do that stuff for this. It could be a California law that maybe you're not, you know, that yeah. could be the difference. But it's it, possible, yeah. It literally was like, a, yeah, a state law. So I, we were, like you mentioned, Jewish burials happen very fast to start the whole cycle of the mourning process. Uh, and we were at a loss. So we called our, you know, rabbis and we asked them about it. And, and I mentioned in the book, they were very clear and they said, you know, California federal law or whatever, it goes above the Jewish law. So we have to follow the jurisdiction of California and Los Angeles first. So it, again, we were on a waiting list. It was like, they were trying to rule out any funny business, but there, it was funny business. You know, it was like, I think that's the reason that I don't really understand like blunt head injuries, I guess, domestic abuse. I don't know why else, what else it could be, you know, but they, it does have to go to the corner and the corner has to sign off. So that it was very crazy. And again, we called every day. Is she, is she moving up the list? If she's moving up the list and 
we couldn't plan a funeral. We couldn't plan, plan you know, a, you know, we couldn't do anything. We were just so in limbo. I call that, you know, I think I called it funeral limbo. And um, it literally, there was other things, in, you know, involved, as you mentioned, the Jewish tradition. We also had the high holidays coming up. There was Labor Day in there. It was like all these things that were going to delay the funeral even more if we didn't get it soon. So it was very crazy. And again, we, until you have a funeral, you're not really in mourning. So you could officially go to work or send the kids back to school. And so we were, it was strange. It was very a strange time. And um, I don't know what that was about, but it, it didn't help the situation at all. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the last thing you want to have to deal with is, you know, all these confounding factors that are preventing you guys from moving on, grieving, you know, with loved ones, celebrating your mom's life, which, you know, not to take anything away, the book does a great job of really painting a picture of who your mother was. So I, I do encourage listeners to please pick up a copy. Um, it's for sale on Amazon. You can find it uh, very easily. I'll provide all the links and stuff in the show notes for anyone interested, but it's an homage to your mom. It's a nice memoir. It touches on the baseball stuff and the controversy surrounding your mom's fatality and the stuff, you know, that Major League Baseball has been dealing with for years, but has really turned a blind eye to it and really neglected it quite a bit. In fact, in the weeks and months leading following your mom's death, they really were silent on the whole matter, correct? I mean, the Dodgers didn't really say anything. MLB said nothing. And I was shocked to read that it was months before anything was even mentioned or, or spoke of, of what happened. And it was only because you as a family pressured the Dodgers organization and major league baseball to make aware your mom's story. I agree. That was the same question I had, you know, the, okay. In the beginning we were in mourning, then we were getting over everything and this, but then as the dust was settling, every time I, I saw somebody in public, a friend or a family or someone, you know, I had, I had to, you know, Hey, how's things going? Not so good. I just lost my mom. Oh, how? And then I'd have to tell the story. She got hit by a foul ball at Dodger Stadium and died from blood, brain injury. And their mouths would just fall open and say, what? Are you serious? Then their second thing, went, well, what did the Dodgers do for you? What? How come I didn't hear about this? And I got this response over and over again. And then I started thinking, gee, how come nobody knows about this? How come the Dodgers have done nothing? So... I did some research, as I said in the book, I, I Googled up, um, you know, deaths by foul ball, injuries by foul ball, whatever I could find. And um, sure enough, an ESPN article written by Willie Weinbaum popped up and it was written, I believe in April of that same year, congratulating MLB for extending the nets to the dugout. And how many people are being, you know, the injuries have gone down. What a fabulous thing. Only one person has died since uh, in 1970. And that, and that was ironically was like, at Dodger Stadium too. Yes, that was a young boy, 14 years old, Alan Fish, was hit by Manny Moda. And of course, have you ever heard that story, Brian? I, yes, I think Jordan talked about that story when he was on the podcast, but you can share it if you like. Yeah. No, but the point is, I never heard of that guy, oh. you know. 
So I was probably 14 then too, you know, and I just re uh, reached out to this guy and that's what struck me. Nobody has been killed since 1970. So I wrote him right back and I said, you know, dear Mr. Weinbaum, how can I get that statistic changed? My mother just died in August. And, and that's what he, he wrote me back with the same surprise as you. Wow, how come I'm hearing from this now? I, I'm in shock. I'm so sorry for your loss. Can we share the story? So that was the snowball effect. Once I agreed to, to share the story with the SPN, I just got a barrage of reporters from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, everybody writing, calling me, trying to get the story out there as well. So there was a lot of great momentum. There was a lot of, um, you know, good awareness strangely enough the los angeles times had the smallest article in the back of the paper <laughs> so that's probably part of it that the new york and espn were more apt to share the story and um what it did was to make the journalists more aware make the fans more aware and then what was happening unfortunately nothing nobody put the nets up overnight nobody you know I always say in um, you know, in automobiles recalls, one tiny malfunction and there's one accident, they recall thousands of cars and they, they fix the cars if one issue happens. This is the second death already, you know, and they're not rushing to fix anything. And, and those, so, those are mandatory fixes that have to be made. Now, in the case of the Dodgers and the netting and throughout Major League Baseball, it, those were only recommendations. Those weren't even mandates made by Major League Baseball. It was purely recommendations, and it was up to the individual organizations whether they were going to actually follow through on those recommendations. So yeah. not to be conflated here, this, this was not mandatory. So the fact that they didn't do anything with their netting shows that they could care less, really. I mean, essentially, they didn't care. Um, they took the recommendations and did nothing with it. Yeah, they may, maybe they extended it down to the dugout, but... They certainly didn't raise it. They certainly didn't make it safer, um, obviously. So, and and this, by the way, continues today. Um, but but what really struck me too in your mom's case was just the, the just the way the Dodgers were just brushing it off so so much so that you guys had to really go out of your way to contact them. And and I I mean I'm shocked you didn't really even ask them for anything. In return, just an acknowledgement of the facts of what happened. And even then you were met with significant hurdles to overcome to get anything done. Can you go into that a little bit? I know you wrote about it in the book. You guys met with the Dodgers organization for a mediator. They had you in a big high-rise glass building on the 40th floor for like five, six hours trying to figure out a way that they could make this right. And they basically did nothing. Yeah, it, it is true that, you know, we were warned or not warned. We were given advice that don't, there's no suits available. You know, you may not sue Major League Baseball. On the back of the ticket, it says, enter at your own risk. Maybe in tiny little writing. And then in bigger writing, it says, buy a Farmer John hot dog. And today it's all e-tickets. So you would probably have to do three clicks until you found that warning. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it's buried but, somewhere uh, in the back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, 
it was a crazy, you know, we were just told, and I, unfortunately I mentioned this in the book too, that I became part of an injured player, um, injured fans of major and minor league baseball games on Facebook group. So all this is a home where we, everybody can vent and share their stories and their heartache and their medical bills. And, and they can say, you know, there's no, you can you may not sue. If you do, you can appeal and then you can lose and then you can appeal and then lose and appeal. But nobody has any money for their medical bills. So they don't have any money for the suit. So like you said, we just wanted like maybe rest in peace, Linda Goldblum at the, at the scoreboard or maybe a little plaque on the chair that said longtime fan, Linda Goldblum, we'll miss you. But nothing, nothing in, with closure. So in the book, again, a strange happenstance, my sister's friend was friends with Alan Fish at 14. He knew of this boy that died. And now all these years later, this guy is a lawyer. <laughs> so he decided to, to take us, you know, to mediation and, and try to get more awareness and try to at least see the Dodgers face to face and see what they could do. So again, it was like you mentioned, a horrific experience and a cold shell of a building. They kept the Dodgers in a, a different room than us and, you know, trying to go back and forth, back and forth. And um, obviously there's no, just, you know, I can't disclose what happened, but in the end, the whole point was to meet these people. And, and we asked our, um, the mediator, can you, literally bring those people into our room so we can look them in the eye and they can know that Linda Goldblum was a person, not just a name on a piece of paper. And that this is her, her husband, who's now a widow of 59 years. And here's the kids and the grandkids. So thankfully we, we were able to shake their hand and look at them in the eye, but it was still chilly. Your description in the book. Yeah, it paints a pretty good picture of how it went down, which is unfortunate. Um, but the interesting thing is, I was so surprised that they didn't want to spin this into a positive PR. I know, right? They could have said, oh, my God, this is a terrible thing. We're so let's be the first ones to raise the net. Yeah, let's be the first ones to extend the net. You know, we want to have a safe park. But that was not the case. I honestly don't understand and, that either. I don't either. So because of my story got such publicity now when this when the foul balls were hitting people and hitting children and they were catching it on the film that the cameraman was catching it the players were watching it with their own eyes you know Al albert amora fell to his knees he couldn't even he saw it happen and then it was those parks that said uh this is so awkward we better put the nets up we don't want any children being hurt but again, it wasn't the Dodgers. It was the other stadiums that started because there was no specific mandate. Yeah. It was just crazy. And now and heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, it, it truly is. Um, it's not what anyone would expect going to a professional major league baseball game. You know, you go there like your parents did to celebrate with family or friends, like special occasions. And it's part, it becomes part of the, your life, right? I mean, you said you were going to Dodgers games when you were a young kid. Um, and I can vividly oh. remember going to New York Mets games when I was a kid and taking my son. Um, and nobody wants, yeah. you know, wants to be feared for their safety. Um, and I've been throughout baseball and, and it's still a lack of netting and there's still a big um, 
safety issue, um, even around the plate and near the dugouts. So it's still not really been fully addressed. Are you still working towards getting this changed? Are you, are you actively involved in anything right now? Well, I am happy to say that Dodger Stadium has extended it all the way to the foul ball, foul pole, and they have extended that back netting higher to cover where my parents' seats were in the load. So in my particular case, I'm thankful that Dodger Stadium, that was pretty much my goal, you know, did something to prevent it at their stadium. And again, uh, you know, we've been advocating for all the stadiums to do it. And um, they, again, I'm not a statistician, but a lot of the parks have done fabulous and they've gotten this far. Uh, strange thing is that just a few months ago, they did say a mandate that the commissioner mandated the minor league parks to raise their nets or extend their nets. However, they gave them to 2025. So I'm like, you're going to have two more years of injuries? That makes no sense at I mean, all. It's got to be like pocket oh. change for these organizations to spend the money on putting up netting. I mean, how much could it possibly cost them? Well, Jordan Scott did the research and he said it costs like $50,000 in three days. And that's like a drop in the hat for them. That is the most silliest thing I've ever heard. So again, I don't understand the delays. I don't understand why, you know, and even um, the minor league parks and the, um, we're talking spring training. Those are even smaller where, you know, they go smaller and smaller as you go. And, you know, a lot of the people in my uh, injured fan group got hurt at um, spring trainings. So that's huge. I recently um, was doing, a, this is kind of a fun story, just, again, the title of my book says, Sit Behind the Nets. Look on the, look on the inventory and purchase your ticket behind the nets because even if they're not extended all the way, you can still find one. So I was going to a book club um, and I was sharing my book to 20 people that I've never met before. And in that group, one woman had been hit twice at a college game and a minor league game. So it was crazy that that the the numbers of people that get hit and hurt and um, our local high school, they're right here on the corner that my three kids went to, they recently installed nets because the foul balls were going into the swimming pool. (laughs) (laughs) So they, you know, there's just a necessity for it. And again, uh, you can, you know, just get a ticket and sit behind the nets. It's my, Mm. my, my mess. Yeah, Jordan and I had talked when he was on the podcast a couple of years ago, and one of the things we were enamored by was the Japanese baseball league and what an amazing job they've done going all out for fan safety in not just the netting, but they provide gloves to people, hard hats, like helmets to people sitting close to the netting and um, and, and really go out of their way to make it a, a, a safety, um, safe safe experience while you're at a, at a ball game, so... Um, yeah, well, you, that's, you, I don't know if you got that far in my book, but I t- I've been to um, Osaka twice. Oh, yes. I've been, to Hanshin, right. I've been to Hanshin Stadium two different times, like 30 years apart. And it's the most miraculous thing. Like you said, there's a danger. I, they call it the adventurous section. So if you yes. want to be an adventurous section with no netting, they do give you a helmet and a glove and all that. If you're in the other section, there's a there's netting 360 degrees going around. I mentioned in the book that even during the Olympics, 
there was because of COVID, there was hardly any people there. They still had whistleblowers and people yep. alerting you. Forgot about that part. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they're, you know, they're very conscientious. They're serious baseball fans. Yes, they are. But, you know, they take their safety seriously. So and it's, it's really bring, heartbreaking. I'm, I'm so glad you you mentioned that because I forgot about that part. Because your father, and this is like, this is why I love these stories. Because there's always some type of connection or some type of like, you know, it's like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? You can always kind of go back to these weird kind of connections that people have and relationships. Your father was a wrestling coach. And was developed a relationship with another wrestling coach from Japan, who basically you guys became very close family friends with, and you would share your house with them when they would come to the United States, and vice versa. So that was I'm assuming that's when you were experienced your uh, Japanese ballparks was when you were visiting with them. Exactly. Yeah. It very was cool. like a, it was so, and then thirty years later, I went with my, my. I went when I was nineteen, and then all these years later, my daughter was nineteen, so we went back, and she got to experience the game. It's very cool. So, yeah. And it was literally probably, it was one year um, since my mom's passing. It was the following August. You know, we, awesome. we, we uh, again, in Judaism, you mourn for a year, you put it behind you, and you get on with your life. And we took this trip. She was going abroad, and we had an opportunity. And yeah, again, big, big baseball fans, and we had a ball. That's a cool, it's a cool story. <laughs> Uh, amongst many yeah. that you put in your book about your mom and your experiences, what was the word that they called her? Was that a Jewish term that they used for to, for grandmother that they called her? A, yes, a, a Jewish grandma in Yiddish is a bubby. <laughs> I love it. So my mom is a bubby, and she said, "Oh, anybody could be a grandma, but it takes somebody special to be a bubby." Well, it's and, very cool, um, very endearing of- nickname. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's a Yiddish word. There's lots of bubbies out there. Um, but yeah, she, it, that's the thing I was trying to paint the picture. My mom was an average grandma, you know, a very fun lady, but average American housewife who had an extra, you know, ordinary life and a very extraordinary death. So I, I'm thrilled to keep her name out there. And again, even when, um, all the other issues were happening, when the other people were getting injured, they always wrote an article and would, would say this child or this person got injured, but guess what? Linda Goldblum died in August of you know 2018. So I feel like her name and her energy, it was helping to move things forward. And that was another impetus for writing the book is to, because I was inundated with all the um, um, newspaper reporters and all that right off the bat, you know, in, I never really took the time to go through the details and really mourn it properly. So a year, you know, two years after her death in 2020 in the COVID, that's when I decided to write the book and it, you know, talk about healing and, you know, it was very helpful to um, go through all that and um, just to get it down. And again, to set the story straight and um, share my, I call it a memoir with the message. So even if you don't read the book and you just read the title, I always say it, sit behind the nets. In fact, I was encouraged to change the title <laughs> and I just, I held strong. I said, no, I'm just sticking with it. So no, it's, again, a, it, it's, it's a good title. It's a great book. I, I, I definitely enjoyed reading it. I didn't get through the whole thing, I will admit, but I, I got through the good parts, which is most of it. So I, I do appreciate it. 
and uh, your your mom sounded like a wonderful woman. And in, in her passing, she's doing great things because I'm sure she sparked some change, if not at Dodger Stadium, then at least throughout the rest of Major League Baseball. So it's glad glad to hear that there are some good things coming on the horizon here. Hopefully it happens before any other catastrophic injuries occur. And, um, uh, you know, it's just a, it's a great story um, with, with an unfortunate kind of twist, but, but hopefully a happy ending. And I think uh, you guys should be proud. And I know you are. And I want to thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your mom's story and allowing us to interview you and talk about it more personally. And I, I strongly want to recommend everybody go check out the book. It's called sit behind the nets. I will have all the information in the show notes, all the links to Jana's pages and all of the stuff where you can purchase um, her book. And um, if you want to get in touch with Jana, I'll have her website up there too. Um, Jana, is there anything you'd like to say before we kind of dip out here about your mom or about anything with the book or anything else? Yeah, again, Ryan, I really just thank you for taking the time, you know, again, that kind of falls into your genre about the injured list. I think this is a great podcast and you cover a, a lot of kind of things. And this was a great avenue for me to be able to share it. And again, you know, support your favorite team, support your favorite player. But if you're going to go to the game, buy a ticket and sit behind the nets. That's my most important memoir with a message. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree. It's, a, it's a great way to watch the game. You don't even know they're there half the time. Exactly. All right, everybody. Well, thank you, Jana, for joining us. Uh, We'll be right back after this. You're listening to the Injured List Podcast with your host, Brian Scott, your go-to resource for all sport injury-related topics. For show notes and other resources, visit theinjuredlist.com. Okay, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today with a special episode and special thank you to Jana Goldblum Brody for coming on the podcast and sharing the amazing story of her mother's life and passing. And if you are interested in purchasing her book, I will have all of the information in the show notes. It's called Sit Behind the Nets, a memoir of a mother killed by a foul ball. You can find it on Amazon and all other places where you shop for your books to read. So please help support her cause. And don't forget, you can listen to my previous episode with Jordan Scop of Foul Ball Safety Now, which was recorded two years ago. You can see that on the website at InjuredList.com. And as always, we've got big things coming up with the NFL football season right around the corner as we work with Fantasy Sports Corporation, bringing you daily and weekly NFL injury updates. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, everybody, enjoy your summer holiday. And thanks for listening. We will see you soon. Stay safe. Stay healthy and stay active.